0: The Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition presents Prostate Cancer, One Man's Journey. A special podcast series featuring Michael Dispezio, who shares insightful experience in dealing with prostate cancer. From his early diagnosis to medical options he undertook to how his quality of life was affected. Michael is a writer, TV host, and science educator, who's co-authored over 60 science textbooks used in K 12 classrooms. He's chronicling his journey with prostate cancer in an effort to help others. Michael, at this point, you're presented with the idea of a radical prostatectomy, which you agree to undergo. But at the same time, you're also presented with what this means physically, and you have to think about what it's going to mean mentally and socially and in all kinds of ways. So let's talk about your mindset at this point.
1: I was racing. I was going all over the place because I knew that my decision was critical. It was critical not only to my life, but also to the quality of that life. So it was a decision that I wanted to make sure I understood what the potential ramifications would be and the potential benefits were, which means that I had to do really a benefit-risk ratio of looking at each of my possible options and figuring out, is this worth it? Is radical prostatectomy going to get me to the place uh, that I want to be as opposed to radiation? or as opposed to active surveillance. But active surveillance, which is now really becoming more and more a preferred way of treating, uh, was not an option for me because I did not have low-risk prostate cancer. I had medium to high-risk tumor.
0: You said in a previous episode that if the cancer was all confined to the prostate, the surgery might cure you of the disease completely? That's what you want to hear. You know it. Okay, and and you're all in agreement now at this point that surgery is the way to go. How much information did the medical people provide you about lifestyle and quality of life post-surgery?
1: Well, they, they certainly said that there were going to be various side effects that would be associated with it, that it would clear up over time. Most likely, this is going to happen. But you know me by now. I am diving into those books, reading not only the technical manuals on what's going on, looking at the scientific papers that do surveys of post-operative patients, and they get They find out how that person is doing. Uh, But I'm also looking at individual narratives, somebody saying, look, this is what happened to me. This is what I thought was going to happen. So I knew that there was a chance of something going on. There's a small percentage of people who undergo radical prostatectomy that will have ongoing urinary symptoms.
0: Right. Incontinence Uh, and and other issues.
1: Incontinence. And incontinence, you know, I I was faced with that. Uh, And for the first couple of months, it was life-changing in the sense that I, I couldn't get my head around it. Is this, going to, is this going to improve? Will my symptoms slowly go away, as I've told? And yes, they did. It takes a while. You've got to be actively a part of it doing Kegels. But that, that's another story with it. Looking at right now, we're focusing on the options and weighing them. So what I did do was try and talk to people who have had surgery before, others who have had radiation, and make my own decision. And in fact, it's important that an individual does make their own or that it's a shared decision with the practitioner who will be closest to the actual procedure.
0: If you're lucky enough to have a wonderful woman in your life, which you do. Awesome. This is a partner in life, but it's also, uh, I'm sure, necessary at this point to discuss with her what's happening.
1: Caring partners are critical. And I was especially fortunate in that my wife was a retired nurse. And I'm not talking just medical support here, but I was a physical and emotional wreck. I couldn't get behind the wheel and drive.
0: I'm glad you're admitting that because your curriculum vitae is so impressive as a scientist and as a biologist. You know so much. You're such a smart guy, but you're also a human being and you're going to feel it. You're, You're not a robot. Right. So you had to come to terms with this. It's, it's part of life. You have to deal with these
1: challenges. It was an emotional roller coaster. Absolutely. And you can read about it. You can read about the issues of faulting yourself. What did I do to get cancer? Why is it me? Why is this going on? There is a lot of emotion which is attached to this. It is critical that if someone is looking at surgery or another sort of definitive treatment, that they make sure that they understand the emotional roller coaster that they're about to get on.
0: Do you have any idea how long the procedure actually took, the actual surgery?
1: I know it took a few hours. However, once I was giving the anesthetic, I was out. Uh, Good thing. (laughs) It was. And the next time that I had any consciousness, I I was in the recovery room.
0: Right. I guess the big fear is when you have something attached to your body to help you survive and thrive, you're worried, oh, am I going to knock this thing out of whack, the catheter? You know it.
1: And that is why I rearranged the bedroom, Yeah. making sure that I had instant access to a place that I could work that catheter bag, because the catheter bag all of a sudden becomes your holding tank that you have to go to the toilet and release what's in the holding tank and then come back. So you want to make sure that you've got a clear access and there's no chance of accidentally ripping out the catheter while you are healing.
0: Something that happened that was unexpected or it was mentioned it could happen and then it did and you went, oh, here it is. I'm referring to, in my notes, uh, issues with your bowel apparently that appeared.
1: Yes, and I was fortunate that the cancer did not spread to the bowel because if you look at the anatomy of a person, the prostate gland lies in very close proximity to the rectum. So you don't want to have any spread, which can impact then your bowel movements. Uh, However, what had happened was about three weeks into recovery, four weeks into recovery, after the surgery, I began having some bowel issues as well. And it was kind of, oh, my God, what's going on here? Not only am I incontinent, so I wasn't able to really retain the urine. The urine was flowing directly from my body into the absorbent pads that I was wearing. Mm-hmm. But also I had bowel issues, which kept me tethered. I'd like to say oh, tethered yes. to the bathroom. It was, you know, I can leave for an hour or two, but certainly I had to make sure that I was going back and I had uh, access without an issue mm-hmm. to a bathroom. And this went on probably for about four weeks. And I should mention the other symptom which came out of nowhere, was depression.
0: Well beyond just being blue and sad and frustrated, that's clinical depression, and I happen to personally know what that feels like. So that that's a serious condition to deal with along with everything else.
1: That, that is. It, it is finding no joy in anything.
0: Regarding your uh, lower digestive system, did you have a colonoscopy at some point to check things out?
1: Yes, I did. Uh, they went to go check what was going on, if there was anything else that might have been missed, and uh, all of the results were, were good from that. Um, also, there was an upper track. They also put a tube down my digestive tract, uh, down into my stomach, just to look at some things which were a little bit odd in some earlier imaging that I had done, but, but I was all fine.
0: And you saw the pathology reports, you know, after they remove anything, there, there's always that pathology test. And that was revealing because there was cancer there, of course, but uh, we were confirmed, I guess, that the cancer had not spread at that point.
1: Right. And the pathology report looks at a number of things. It looks at how how much risk is associated with that cancer, how much risk it will become aggressive, it will spread. Uh, so my risk actually went down on the pathology report following surgery from what it was with the pathology report following the biopsy. Also, they looked to see if there was an invasion in what's called the seminal vesicles, which are other parts, other structures, which are attached to the prostate and there was no spread in them. Because if there was spread into them, it Mm. suggests that I have a much higher risk cancer and that maybe we need some follow-up, secondary treatment following the surgery because there's a good chance that it's spreading. Also, my lymph nodes were examined. I mentioned before that bone is one place in which the cancer travels to, prostate cancer. Prostate cancer also travels to lymph nodes. So they examined the lymph nodes, they took them out, they dissected them, and they found that there was no cancer in there as well. Also, there was no extra prosthetic extension, which means the cancer had not extended beyond the gland, which is very good, because that suggests that it's all contained. And there's a chance that it was cured. You could never be definite on this because, with cancer, especially when we're looking at prostate cancer, it can spread causing little metastatic sites, little metastases, mm. little little secondary tumors that are too small to be seen. Right, And right. these micro metastases, when it comes to prostate cancer, can take years, decades, mm. to begin to grow where they have a clinical appearance, where they have an effect and can be detected.
0: That's why it's so confounding for so many people. Even thinking about that is weird, to think that you have something in your body, can't detect it, but it's there. It could be there. I mean, it's just, it plays with your mind.
1: Right, and it's still at the back of my mind, because although I had the surgery which removed the primary tumor, did it spread before it? Did it seed, is another word that is used, to other body parts? And in five years, 10 years down the line, I'm going to find out.
0: I want to talk with you about uh, the eventual return to some sense of normalcy. Continence returned. Obviously, you're not attached to anything. Uh, you're here in the studio recording wonderful podcasts that are so helpful. But things started to get back. What about your energy level? What about strength? What about, I mean, you're a very active guy. Your level of activity, how long did it take for that to sort of resume?
1: My energy level was very much tied into my depression. Uh, Before surgery, I was a guy who was never depressed. I had boundless energy. Then post-surgery, I was facing the issues ranging from uh, urinary continence to worrying if the cancer had spread prior to the prostatectomy, which resulted in my becoming an emotional wreck. But significant depression is very common, very common for those who have prostate cancer and especially for those who have undergone surgery or radiation. You wonder if your life will ever return to normal. Anyway, soon after surgery, I was exercising again. Actually, you're up walking on the evening following surgery. During the first month of recovery, I was physically returning to my preoperative norm. I was walking all the time. However, mentally, I was descending into clinical depression. I need to mention suicide hotlines, uh, and they're available for those with depression and for those who might consider harming themselves. Help is available, and take it from me. You are certainly not alone in facing emotional turmoil. Talk with this with your primary care physician or with other health care workers who might best direct you to mental health resources.
0: Let me ask one more question about quality of life, and this is something that has to be asked, and that's the relation with your wife, uh, your sex life, your your amorous side. Uh...
1: And, and we're working on that. Uh, in addition to urinary incontinence, the other major side effect of surgery is erectile dysfunction, the old ED. Uh, That's because the trauma of surgery can impact nearby nerves that are responsible for erections. That said, there are nerve-sparing surgical techniques that decrease the chances of long-term ED. However, it can still take several years for erections to fully return. And for some, erections may never return without the aid of additional devices. Me? I was fortunate enough to have the nerve-sparing techniques. Also, I am currently taking scheduled doses of Viagra. Those ED drugs are prescribed to quicken the return to erections to pre-surgery levels. So I guess like many things, this is a work in progress.
0: When we come back with our next episode, we're going to start talking a bit more in the generic sense about what's out there, what some of these other alternative therapies might mean. Um, some of the terms of art. You've mentioned a few, the Gleason scale and others. I think it's important for us to have you share as the biologist, scientist, and guy going through it. So thank you, Michael. We really appreciate it. Thank you. The topics discussed on this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be used to make medical decisions. Every individual has unique circumstances which will influence their medical care and the application of scientific literature should be interpreted within the context of your general health. Please consult a doctor before making any clinical decisions. You've been listening to a special series, Prostate Cancer, One Man's Journey, with Michael Dispezio. For more, visit the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition website, masspcc.org. Again, you can subscribe and download our regular podcast series, Prostate Cancer and You, available on all major podcast platforms. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.